You are listening to a production of the Toe Network. This is Laser Knees, number 73, Robotic Aerobics. I'm Aleph. And I'm Sono. And this is Thief Sentai Lupin Ranger versus Police Sentai Pot Ranger, episode 27, Dancing Commands, and 28, A Battling Birthday. Our writer for 27 was Yamatoya Akatsuki, uh, unsurprising given how much of a comedy episode that was. Uh-huh. And our writer for 28 was Komura Junko. For 27, our director was Kato Hiroyuki, and for 28, it was Sugihara Teruaki. Alright, well, um, I didn't have a whole ton here, so, uh, Sono, why don't you start us off with what this episode, what these episodes brought out for you? Um, I'm mostly gonna talk about 28, because I thought it was a really sweet episode that hit a little closer to home than I expected regarding my somewhat complicated relationship with my father. Mm. It's a little less complicated than probably a lot of people's, because my dad has always been very good to me, and has never done wrong by me intentionally, but he believes a lot of things that are harmful to me, whether he's aware of that or not, and also to people that I care a lot about. And while lately I see him a bit more often, we don't have a very close relationship now that I'm an adult because of this. So seeing this episode about Umeka's dad, who kind of jumps to all these conclusions and gets really overzealous in trying to take care of his daughter, but generally he means well and he wants her to be safe and happy no matter how she's choosing to live and just wants to step in to make sure that she's safe and happy and see her on her birthday it reminded me of how in college every week or two my dad would send me some easy to make foods you know instant things and peanut butter and such as that and every month or so he'd come and visit and take me out to eat so i'd eat an actual food little things you know like it's it's nice to be reminded of, you know, like, the good half of the relationship with my dad, when so much in the world reminds me of not-so-great feelings. But Omega's father, unlike a lot of parents on both sides of the spectrum in, to- spectrum in tokusatsu, he feels very genuine. He's not, you know, evil, and he's not misunderstood, but he's also not lionized as being some perfect miracle father god, which is, you know, just as tedious at this point. And he's not, he's not adjacent to the big evil, he didn't fight it at some point, he's not, you know, hiding from it or knows about it. He's just a dad who's worried about his daughter. And his actions come from this place of concern more than anything else. It's not wanting to control her or force his child to submit to his parental influence. He's not coming to Jurer to prove that he's right, that she shouldn't have left, and that she was wrong. He trusts her judgment, but Umika is just in this episode turning 19. Meaning, it's been over a year? So she may have been like 17 when she left home. And she's been through this huge trauma that she cites as the catalyst for why she feels she needs to drop out of school and leave home. So like, of course that's a reason to be worried as a parent. Like, why would you not be in that circumstance? Your child goes through this huge trauma and is then like, I because of this I have to drop out of school and move out of my home. And go live on top of a cafe with some strangers. Yeah, like, man, being concerned means you're a good parent in this situation. Yeah, that's just what a parent should be. But, like, he doesn't come to Jurer to drag her home. Like, especially, you know, he doesn't come to drag her home whether she likes it or not. He didn't come here to ask her to stop pursuing something that she felt she needed in order to cope with this trauma. Her dad's just a good guy who loves his daughter and is worried about her because she's living this really unorthodox life after a lot of trauma. Worried. He just wants to make sure that she's safe and happy and taking care of herself and to see her on her birthday. And related to that, it's nice to see that Umika's mother was like, Hey, you're an adult, and this is a big thing that you've gone through. Do what you've got to do. And then from that information we get, Umika's actively kept in touch with her mother. 
over the course of the time she's been out of the house. And even though her dad was acting out of concern and being like, hey, no, you can't do that, he wasn't engaging with Umika in a healthy way about why she felt like she needed to do this. And because of that, she stopped talking to him, which is also something I relate to in the complicated relationship with my father, because that was something I had to do uh, for a time. But, you know, her mother being like, hey, I understand you're dealing with this tough thing, and if this is what you feel you need to do, then do it, and I'm here if you need me. And Umika retains that relationship with her. So not only does it put this idea of, hey, this way that her dad is acting is maybe not a great way for your parents to talk, putting that idea in front of kids, it doesn't stop at the idea of, but there's no other way and you just have to deal with that and you're, they're your parents so you have to love them. Instead, it kind of offers this alternative relationship that is healthy and that Umika's dad learns from. And lest I be misunderstood, not everything a kid does can be boiled down to a parent responding with, okay, you do you, I'm here if you need me. But, because, you know, kids will kids. do some dumb stuff. And as a parent, it is good to be like, hey, what's going on in your life? Don't do a stupid thing. But this is a really specific circumstance in which Umika needed freedom and space and time away from her family, um, especially with the circumstance of, hey, be a Lupin Ranger. And, but her parents handled it very differently, one that was not so great and one that was pretty good. Neither was perfect, and you kind of need a little bit of both, but one was a lot better than the other. And at least with the way her mother responded, Umika probably felt she could come home if she needed to. Like, if, you know, taking the whole Lupin Ranger thing out with how her parents see this, like, if she failed, if she got fired from the job, this or that, she's not gonna just run off and be homeless because she can't, feels like she can't go home. She still feels like she can come back, which is important if something goes horribly wrong because these her parents do care a lot about her and really probably would not want her to run off and be homeless and lose all contact with them when they want to help her. But the, the parent barges in trope is a little bit of a staple within Sentai. It happens a lot. Offhand, I can think of Geki Ranger and Abba Ranger who both uh, do this Geki Ranger with Geki Yellow and Abba Ranger with Emery. And I'm sure there's a bunch of others it happens in that I'm just not thinking of offhand, but I remember those two because I was annoyed, very annoyed by the parents in it. And I mean, even Bokenger takes a swing at it by uh, centering their entire movie around Akashi having that kind of relationship with his father. Yes, they did. Still, one of my favorite bits. It's a very good bit of that very weird movie. Um, I, have a, I, have a, I have an interesting relationship with the Bokenger movies uh, that it's, aren't Bokenger versus Geki Ranger because that one's a work of art. But the, o the other two, I kind of go back and forth on. But again, it's this whole thing where, you know, he doesn't have this great relationship with his father and his father just kind of barges in on the show. Except not the show, just the movie. But I mean, we've talked a lot about weird representations, weird or not great representations of parent-child relationships, both here, we've and we've talked about it on Rx. I mean, we talked about it just a few weeks ago with Tsukasa's grandfather. But this is the first time I recall this kind of story or this kind of parent-child relationship where the parent is trying to influence how they are as not really putting me off. I mean, you've, you've got things like Sento's mom, which is really different. That's a very, especially with, you know, we didn't know that was his mom at the time. We haven't seen her since. We haven't. But it's, this stood out to me because the parent has this, already has a very healthy relationship with his child. Umika's dad and Umika seem to get along pretty well. They, they bicker because he'll kind of, you know, go kind of headfirst into something and she'll be like, hey, let me, let me tell you what's actually going on. But his actions are out of concern rather than do this because I'm your parent and I say so and I'm right and you're wrong because I'm your parent and that automatically makes me right and you wrong. And I think the thing that really drives that feeling home is 
this bit where Kyrie's just like, hey man, like, your daughter's dealing with some really heavy stuff, and it's hurting her a lot, and it's not easy on her, so you are 100% right to be worried about her. But she's doing pretty dang okay. That kid is strong as heck. And you can see that immediately his dad kind of settles down. Like, he's just glad that she's safe and happy and taking care of herself, even if she's got to deal with this. Like, that's all he wants, and he's willing to step away at the end of the episode and give Umika that space that she needs to grow and cope with her trauma. And because of that, Umika's like, hey, let me come home for a night. Let's all hang out and catch up and be a family for a bit. It's it's real nice. It really is. And, like, I want to have more to say to bounce off of that, but whoo! That's a, yeah, that's some good stuff. Uh, and I don't think I can really add much to it, because, I don't know, what am I going to talk about? Just how cool I think aerobics is, and how you should really respect cardio workout, because you should. Um, yeah, so, uh, I guess we'll just head into the, the bits in these episodes that we didn't get on with, because I don't really have a lot to add. Uh, Sona, why don't you start us off? Okay, uh, speaking of, of aerobics and, uh, all of that, I think the thing that bothers me most in 27 is... I actually wrote down Noelle in the Lupins, but most of it was Umika and Kairi, and how much they make fun of Toma for, like, going to the aerobics dojo when they see him there and being like, oh, we we shouldn't be watching this because it's weird, and emasculating him about wearing the jumpsuit and all of that. Like, y'all... Like, one, at the point that they come to the dojo, they clearly seem to know something gangler-related is happening on since they're dressed to party. Why you gotta do that? Yeah, I know. Especially since this isn't even the first time they've seen Toma on the weird receiving end of a gangler whammy, you know? Yeah, no. This is like the... maybe the third or fourth time. This yeah, happens to him weird. a lot. <laughs> now that you stop and look at... Like, huh, he's the main target for these things. That's weird. I guess it's because he's the tallest? At least yeah, it's no, not Umika. No lie. Thomas seems to take it in Yeah, stride, I think that's why so it works. I'm fine with that. Also, I just want to say, like, I... They're, you know, they're, they're really trying to bust on him, and I don't think they have a leg to stand on. He was rocking that super 80s aerobics look. Like, he, he was looking really good. He, he Sure, he's got that really chill, deadpan expression, but I mean, he, he makes the leotard work. And... and Second, look, what are you going to wear for that kind of workout? You need something flexible that breathes and isn't going to get in your way too much, and that's what spandex and leotards are for. That's what they are. You can move, you aren't restricted. It's it's the most practical thing for the things he's doing. Why don't don't bust on him for that? Like yeah, no, it just bugs me that they start laughing at him for basically no reason, and then you've got Toma feeling uncomfortable to the point where he's like, "Just kill me, just end it," and then doubling back at the end of the episode to make fun of him for it after it was clear that the gangler was mind controlling everyone. Like the first time, I can kind of let it go because maybe y'all just don't know what's going on, and I get that they're like kind of jerky 19-year-olds. But after that, like, guys, come on, leave him alone. Yeah, he's just trying to live his life. And honestly, I gotta say, even if the spandex had been his choice, it's not like the rest of them aren't wearing a bunch of spandex all day, every day. I mean, sure, it's it's colored different, but uh, there's a lot of spandex going on. And again, like, why don't... Like, there's a limit to good-natured good busting on your friends. And honestly, it's... Hey, when I when I bring up this haha thing and you don't haha back, it's time to drop it. It just is because that's that's just how it works. And and on a related note, yeah, exactly. Because look, it's it's just a thing I have learned, kind of by by rote and through observation and through just eventually having to just say to people like, hey, I don't. This isn't fun for me. Just if if people aren't bringing it up themselves, if they aren't like, I'm a big fan of self-deprecating humor. There's a lot of people who have a lot of stuff to say about it. I don't have time to listen to them. But Toma's not Toma's not much for self-deprecating humor. He's not really one for humor at all. Like, he can get a little ribbing, but after after a little, like, nudge-nudge, ha-ha, look at this absurd situation, just let it drop, you guys. Though, like, on a related note, I am kind of annoyed that we didn't get to see the robot doing a bunch of aerobics moves 
to wreck the monster at the end of the episode. Because they, they sort of set up for it, but I felt like it was either not really followed up on or supposed to be a joke, and like, some of those me some of those moves that we saw Sakuya and Toma doing could be pretty useful in a fight. And besides, we have seen that this robot is frequently hella agile. I, I recognize that it's probably that they blew through a lot of their budget for that really excellent CG during the Lyman fight, but still. I only really have one thing for 28, and it's not so much a problem as just a thing that made me really sad. Yeah. And it's just that Aya's father blamed her disappearance on Toma. And I'd love to know more about why, since Toma is, you know, he's quiet and he's nice and he had this really good job where, you know, he seems like he'd be a cat. But just, you know, the fact that Toma's like, oh yeah, her when Aya disappeared, her dad blamed me and he got really mad at me. And I don't blame him. I don't blame him for lashing out at me. Like, that's heartbreaking. Because you know that Toma also just blames himself for not getting there 100%. five minutes earlier. Like, and he's going through this whole thing to make it right, and I'm like, oh man, you gotta carry yeah. that too. Well, I think I think a lot of it's the, that Toma, in his role as kind of the chill one, and the one who knows stuff, I think he, he kind of understands that blaming whoever was in the vicinity is just kind of person who is hurting logic. It's not... Lo it, it's not rational and it's not fair but it's it's the kind of thing you can kind of get your head around because it's it's a lot easier to blame someone than to say oh hey there's just a weird unknowable thing happened because that's not it doesn't feel as good as having so as having an enemy or someone you can point at and accuse even if again the the accused accusations aren't very fair like, especially since the thing that happened may or may not be known to be a gangler thing. And is it known? Like, I don't think it's been talked about, but I feel like talking about it would be a really good way to bring Zamigo in and remind everyone that, hey, he's a big scary guy. But once again, that's our, our kind of frustration on that plot line. And it's, it's just kind of a sticking point. Yeah, it's, it's not on police record as having oh, been okay. a gangler thing. As far as GPO is concerned, based on when they they thought that the Lupins were the Lupins and did the lookups on them, uh, they all seem to be missing persons cases. Or at least, like, Umeka's, they know that, like, all of her classmates went missing. They thought that Aya left Toma, and I and they just don't mention, they mention that Kairi was, like, raised by his brother, but not that he's missing, so I definitely don't think they yeah, know that's it's a gangler thing. But, which, again, makes it only kind of make a little more sense, at least in Toma's case, because significant others are the first people you look at when someone goes missing. Whether, again, I'm not saying it's fair, I'm just saying it's, it's what happens. And I mean, like, again, I'm not saying that this makes it cool in, you know, when this happens in real life or in the fantasy, but it's at least something understandable. Even though, like, dude, I totally get your point about how it breaks your heart, because that is sad. Toma, Toma has some hidden depths, and I kind of appreciate that that's a thing these two episodes have really highlighted. Toma is, has really been becoming my favorite. Yeah, I do really no, that's love legit. Him. And, okay, to sort of, like, be a little less dire, because that's, that's, you know, that's all a little sad. Um, I do want to say that I'm not entirely sure about Magic Kaiser, and a lot of it is just the weird ball hand thing on the end of that skinny arm dealy inside the big beefy arm. Just, the proportions are weird. It's, it's like a thing that kids will have to imagine when they play with it instead of a thing that's there, because... I, I imagine putting, like, a properly articulated hand inside that little ball is just, that's not an easy thing to do. Yeah, well, usually the, the hands on the robots aren't that's articulated true. anyway. So, I mean, if it just opens up and I guess there's a hand in it, it is a little weird. Though I do like the look of Magic Kaiser as a whole. I, I, I like, I'm okay with it. I, I'm not hating on it entirely. I think a lot of it for me is just the head reminds me a lot of uh, Piranacon, who was the combined form of the Seacons in Transformers. Just a lot of the same pointy stuff, even though it has a mouth instead of like a, a mouthpiece. Anyway, it just uh, it hits me weird on that level as well. I, I haven't been certain 
about most of the regular Kaiser heads, in fairness, but this one just it just it it just hit me weird. I just that's reasonable. Sentai robots are always kind of bizarre. They're not always where they could be. I kind of hope that now that the Power Rangers are working with Hasbro, maybe uh, what was it uh, Bandai could learn a th- relearn a thing or two from the the Hasbro people because. The, the Transformers team know how to design them some neat-looking robots, is all I'm saying. They do. I'll give them that. I'm just kind of sad that they didn't play up the the dial-slash-top-hat thing a little more, because he is a magician. And, I mean, basically, the Lupins are kind of stylized magicians anyway, so let's just play up that they're stage magicians. Have a giant stage magician robot, because actually, now that I think about it, it kind of makes me think of... Um, Sardonyx from Steven Universe. Just just in kind of the way it moves and, and the little skinny arm and that kind of reminds me of the... Anyway, it's it makes me think of that, but I wouldn't mind if it looked a little more like that. Yeah, but that's, that is a minor sort of silly complaint. And again, Sentai robots are sometimes a little iffy. It's just, it's just a fact. It's... it's they're usually a little yeah heavy. I mean it's it's a thing you just gotta roll with because again again like one of my favorites is the one in Tokyuger and the toy for that one is unfortunate oh the the, the main Tokyo robot is a disaster I love it it's, it's yeah it's not great anyway let's I mean look my least favorite Sentai robot is a Bokenger robot actually really the one that's made up of vehicles six through ten. Yeah, that's fair. They it it was a movie robot and they use it in the show maybe twice, but I hate it. I absolutely hate that robot. That's, that's it legit looks, though. It's not very good. It looks incredibly bad. Um, I mean, on the other on the other side of the coin, there is Die Voyager, who is a miracle. But um, I still think like since we're taking a moment to talk about good robots. Pardon my, pardon my voice there, I don't know what it did there. But uh, the, the the first Geki Ranger robot is still one of the all-time greats. Oh, yeah. Oh, Geki Toja is easily the best-looking Sentai robot in existence. Geki Toja was sleek. It, it was perfect. That was a perfect robot. No idea how the toy looks, but the on screen, it looked amazing. Yeah, no, Ge- Geki Toja was great. Um, now, since we're talking about good things, let's use that as our segue into talk about the good things this episode. Because it, you know, we we have you know we have our nitpicks. These two are a lot more good than bad. <laughs> by yes. by like exponential. Um, I appreciate that Toma just stands up for a guy being bothered on the street. Like he doesn't know it's gangler related. It's just this guy bugging another guy, and he's like, "Hey, maybe leave him alone." Toma's a good he egg. Is. He is a really good dude. He's, and it's really extra nice to see because in the first episode, where there was kind of a worry that maybe he was going to be a jerk, and he's just mellowed out considerably in the background on the DL because he doesn't need to make a big scene about stuff, and it's just it's been nice to see. And you know what? This was actually kind of a charming episode for Sakuya. It was. Like, he's, he's really passionate about something that isn't totally about him creeping on girls, even if, you know, once he's hanging out with Toma, he's like, hey, give me dating advice. Hey, tell me some stuff about Umika. But, like, it's... The episode itself was very much not about that. He's just excited about this thing that he loves and that he gets to share it with someone he considers a friend. And I do like the implication that Sakuya isn't actually brainwashed into doing this like Toma is. And like seemingly everyone else in the dojo is. Because the gangler had to be told who Sakuya was. And I assume it was by Gosh uh, during that phone call where she's like, Hey, give Hikawa the bomb. And he's like, who's that? Like, it just, it just seems like Sakuya honestly loves this program, and he's good at it, and he's having a great time. And he, he looks like he's having such a good time, too, and all those little dance numbers, that was really good. And it just, it really makes me wish that Sakuya's whole, I'm gonna throw myself at Umika at every opportunity because I want girls to be impressed by me, was not his story, and that his story was more focused on, I'm kind of awkward and I just really want people to like me. I just want friends. Yes. And that a lot of his social behavior 
in the show in general and how he interacts with the group at Jurer was more directed at Toma. Because that would also be able, that would also open Toma up for an arc about kind of loosening up and not being so suspicious of everyone and so kind of like cold towards people and just being more relaxed. Yeah, it'd be really, it'd be really nice. Because I just, and I wanted to stick around. That's all I want, because goodness knows between writers, sometimes things get lost. And we go back to previous characterizations of characters that you and I, at least, feel that they should have grown past. And I just I just need more hyper-eager nerd Sakuya. And, and look, he can have crushes, but he can also have developed, on the down low, uh, a sense of boundaries. Because look, boundaries are awesome, and I'll be excited if he keeps up this whole thing where it seems like on some level he kind of almost sort of respects them. Or at the very least gets so busy being the best at aerobics that he doesn't have time to pursue them. Because, like, look, he can he can still have a big old crush on Umika and, and maybe want to date lots and lots of girls. And that's charming as long as he is spending all his time perfecting, like, that one move. Whatever move it is he needs to learn. But mostly just, you know, respecting boundaries. There's a lot of potential between Sakuya and Toma that I'm only kind of just now realizing since they've been put in a room together. Because, I mean, even I think the last episode of Laser Knees, I was like, you've got the two reds, the two girls, and the other ones. And now they're kind of less the other ones and more the ones that need better social skills. <laughs> yes. And could kind of balance each other out in that way. Yeah. And and honestly, it's fun to watch them both learn to be better at, you know, humaning. Which, like, look, in fairness, very difficult to learn. Oh, join the club. Speaking of, of Sakuya and how, you know, kind of sweet this episode was for him, it's nice that his team praised him for trying something outside of his comfort zone and like they're like oh he's usually you know good at distance shooting he's he's our range dps and it's like it's good that he's going in and learning how to melee fight and that they're proud of him for excelling at it so quickly they're like wow he's already teaching others he's he can be really incredible sometimes like, this is very clearly a different writer with a different vision for Sakuya than Kaneko Kaori, and they're very uncomfortable Sakuya episodes. Yeah, yeah, on both counts, I'm agreeing with you, because first and foremost, I do want to say that while I feel like there's some stuff in 27 that verges on being real, real, real bad, as opposed to just, like, kind of uncomfortable, at least half the title characters are down with this thing. And that's not a thing I feel like Kanako Kaori would have put in. Because, like, and the other part is that, look, not for nothing, but all that limbering up and cardio work is going to help him do a lot on the job. They do a lot of jumping and flipping and tumbling on their job. This is only going to help him be better at it. Yeah, and especially him. Yeah. He's, he's, that's kind of the thing that the, the pratfall guy does. Yeah, I mean, God, look at some of of Don's stunt work back in Go Badger. Mm -hmm. Even some of his out-of-suit work. Yeah. The kid playing out-of-suit Don is kind of amazing. I just, I wish someone would translate Day of One Hero, which is this, this like, mini-movie they made on the set of Go Kaiger, where he's essentially playing himself, but he's he's also doing, like, a murder mystery, I think? I, I, I have the raw, I've never watched it, because, you know... I would... Yeah, it does, doesn't it? I just... I want to see that. I'm just imagining it as, like, a... Uh, like, the the art, the real person thick version of that episode where uh, Don is is Captain Marvelous, where he gets his own pirate coat. I think it was filmed around the same time, even. I, by the way, I love that bit, because... I mean, look, who wouldn't want a baller pirate coat like that? I want one right now, but it's, I mean, they're, it's a good pirate coat. <laughs> he looks, I mean, it doesn't hurt also that it's being worn by that dude who plays Captain Marvelous, who is a very attractive young man. He is, he is just very attractive. 
But back to back to me hating to admit that I really like Sakuya in this episode, uh, because I do. Um, him wanting Toma to call him senpai is really precious. Like, he just- he wants a friend and to have someone look up to him, and that's so cute. He's just like, I- I look up to my- my co-workers so much, and I want- I want someone to look up to me. That's adorable. It, it is, especially since he comes out and says it, and it's not like a thing we're inferring. He's just like, nah, I, I, just call me senpai. I want someone to look up to me for a change. And I just- I will say again, Ernest Nerd Sakuya is the one I wish they would have spent more episodes building. Cause fair, same, yeah, same hat. Cause he'd be so much more fun if if the whole thing with Umika was just like a, a f not even a fluke, but a thing he also does. Cause he wouldn't have to be so creepy all the time if he'd just be like, "Hey, Umika, hard eyes, hard eyes," and then they mention something else and you just get super into it. Yeah, where it's even even if like his thing with Umiko was like half he has a crush on her and half just I really want friends. Yeah. Like I don't even care if I end up dating her. That would be nice, but I just want to be friends. I want to be friends with everyone here, really bad. And then they just be like, "Why? Uh, have you noticed they're really cool? Like Toma, he's chill." All the time. Kyrie, he's got it together. Umika, she's got it the most together. I want to roll with them. But they're just, they just work at the cafe. I don't want to work as a cop all the time, senpai. I like you guys. I also want to hang out with them. What's so wrong with that? Not to mention, you get a lot more interesting episodes out of that. Hey, what's yeah. up? We can't go and turn into Lupin Rangers and fight the terror. Why? Frickin' Sakuya is still here. He won't leave. He won't leave. <laughs> I like we both great minds. That's great. He's making plans for movie night this weekend. We just can't get him yeah, out. I we well, do you want to go to movie night with him? Look, we can't tell him to just go. Why not? Just it'd be like kicking a puppy. Can't do it. And just even even to build on that, then you've got Noel's flashback to Sakia kind of fumbling around his paperwork. And being like, oh, like here, Saki, you gotta, you gotta make some stuff more clear. Oh, okay, yeah, I'll go do that, Sukasa. What do I need to make more clear? Everything. <laughs> and how that's just, oh no, Sakuya was totally normal, nothing out of the ordinary. Like that, that was way cuter than. Again, I want to admit, it's just, it's that same side of Sakuya that I'd much rather have us be focusing on, focusing on just this guy who's trying and whose heart is in the right place, and is passionate about justice, and is passionate about his hobbies, and is just sometimes a little clumsy on the details. I understand that feeling. It's Sometimes it's hard to express yourself, and sometimes it's hard to catch all the details, and I just, I kind of hope that in some way the aerobics might have been helping, or, or at least making it so that even if his paperwork's a mess, he, he can be better at moving around the office without, like, bumping into people or making making more trouble. Maybe it could give him more self-confidence. I don't know. I just honestly want to see him still doing aerobics in later episodes. He learned a lot. He's, he's a good dude. Somehow. I don't know how we got to he's a good dude. I am actually quite impressed. I also love that, you know, he gets this whole box of snacks that he's told to bring to his office, and he's like, Oh man, Hilltop will love this! Like, I, we say it all the time, but I just love how much the Pot Rangers love their yeah, boss. Yeah, same. And, and it's... Look, not for nothing, on top of him just being generally a very good employer, because he is, well, manager, I don't know, I don't think he's actually the employer. Anyway, it's also not like Hilltop didn't go out on a limb for him that one time, because when he rolled up in the cop car with his badge and gun, even though, like, hey, if you step outside your house, I'm supposed to arrest you and fire you, and or fire you, like, I just... I feel like that's a little continuity nod, and I like it quite a bit. Because not only does he want to impress his new dad, his new dad has kind of proven, oh yeah, I deserve that you should want to impress me. Because Hilltop is the best boss. It's true, he is. And and look, even I like that even if Sakuya is silly, this episode where he is really silly, he's not mm. dumb. When he's handed a box that's ticking... 
And he's like, hmm, that's a little weird. Food doesn't do that. And the guy's like, oh no, it's just this thing. He's like, no, nah, food doesn't do that. I'm gonna check this out. I appreciate that they don't just have to have him buy into that and then the guy, like, that's when the guy has to use the mind control. Because Sakuya's not dumb. He's smart enough that he's not gonna fall for a ticking yeah, box. Yeah, that would be, that would be just a bridge too far. I also adore how into it Goody gets when Sakuya starts doing his aerobics routine in the robot. Yeah. Like, Goody is all in, and he's cheering him on, and he's making the robot do it with him. Because, like, Sakuya's not at the controls, so it's obviously not Sakuya making the robot do the aerobics routine. And Keichiro and Tsukasa have no idea what's going on. They're not moving anything. But Goody's, like, dancing around and cheering him on. Like, get Goody some 80s workout tapes and a sweatband and make some net movies yeah, dude, for me. Yeah, absolutely. It'd make a great sequel to Lupin Abbey. Or maybe, like, the, uh, sort of the parallel show. Or, or a Telebicoon special. That'd be good. Or, heck, they could just copy good, cool Kaiser and just sort of, like, insert him into that, uh, 87 Aerobics Championship video. The one that has that, actually, incredibly peppy song. I'm, I'm putting a, a link to it in the, in the as mentioned. You, you can listen to it yourself. It is peppy as heck. I just want to see... I just want to see just everyone sort of jogging in place, and one of them is a robot who's just clapping in time. I just, same, same. I want, again, it's why I, I am with you in just wanting specials about Goody and the Lupin Estate. Like, we, we got that whole ticket special. Give me the Goody special. The ticket special was amazing. I just want to, now I just want to see the crossover where Goody meets Ticket. And Ticket is, like... An old grizzled puppet. Kid, don't talk to me about loss. I still miss Rebecca. Was that her name, Rebecca? I I forget. It's... I think her name was. I think her name was Rebecca. It was something yeah. like that. It was. It was amazing. Or like he tries. Or like he tries to be, but he's on Wagon's hand now, and she's she's just be like, ticket, please, ticket, please, ticket. I'm really. I've got. I've got to conduct ticket, but I'm having drama. That's fine. This guy didn't buy a ticket, so we have to ask him to leave. But he's my puppet brother. Rules ticket. <laughs> I'm, I'm the rules on this train. I'll have you know. Anyway. I'm so proud of Wagon. Yeah. And she's just, she's just over there like, I see why he, re I see why the old conductor retired. Having to deal with this freaking monkey all day. Because, I mean, it used to be she could get away from him. You know, she had a wagon to run. Yeah, she could she could leave. Not anymore. This is this is why they pay her more now. They, man, they had better. Otherwise, it's just on the train, part of the train, just creepy. But uh, coming coming back to to Lupin uh, and this this robot fight, I also appreciate that Keishiro just gets out of the dang way and lets Sakuya take the middle seat because it's like, nah, man, this is Sakuya's fight. You go sit over on the side. Main character of the episode gets to be in. The I mean, middle. that's just how it should work. Uh, too many Sentai shows did not properly appreciate that. But I think the big thing to take away from this is that no one put Sakuya in the corner, even though sometimes they really ought to have done so. But apparently it's just apparently it's just a law of the universe that he cannot be put in a corner, and that would also explain why he can be so kind of heedless of people sometimes. But then to, you know, to, to double back to my problem with the Lupins making fun of Toma and to kind of paint a contrast to it, at the end of this fight, like, I thought it was really sweet how Keichiro and Tsukasa were really supportive and trying to cheer Sakuya up about getting duped. Like, it's like, oh, but you got this really good workout and you taught us to do it and we're really appreciative. Thanks, Sakuya. We, you, you did good. You did good. Like, that was sweet. It really was. And, like, I, I could see that it's supposed to be about highlighting what makes the teams different, kind of. Like, the Lupins are more about these, again, presumably good-natured ribbings compared to the Pat Rangers just kind of being better at emotional honesty, which I, I can dig. At the same time, like, again, there, there's just a limit to razzing your friends. Just, I'm glad the Pat Rangers don't need that conversation, because they are adults. But uh, I guess that's us moving on to 28, unless we have any final things? Uh, no, that's, I think that's it for 27. We made it through the robot fight. We made it through the robot fight. 
Somehow we made it through. I'm sorry. I am so sorry. I do love uh, in the beginning of 28, Kyrie trying to drag Toma into Papa Umika's rage, being like, "Oh, but this other dude lives here too. What? What about him?" And Toma just being like, "Nah, man. I'm basically married. Like he's got no time for that business." I mean, yeah. Of course he doesn't. It is one of those times where you are kind of reminded just by behavior that Toma is definitely the old, the elder statesman of the group, which I guess makes him like what twenty two. I don't actually know how old is. Yeah, he's still he's still a kid. But seriously, I just love. No, leave me out of this, Toma. Just, that's that's the best. But I I do want to say it like Kyrie. Did you expect him to jump in front of the comedy bullet for you after you spent so much of 27 making fun of him for getting ganglered? And, and, and picking up a new and valuable skill set? I know you shot yourself in the hand that one time, but that was you breaking the deal you guys made. So just, Kyrie can just chill out for like a minute though. And like as much as opening the episode with the overprotective dad trope made me kind of skeptical about how the episode was going to go, there is a bit of catharsis in Kyrie for once not being able to sneak away and outrun a problem because trying to use Toma as a distraction did not work. But I do also appreciate that like after Kyrie protected him from the the gangler Umika's dad does immediately calm down and pretty much right away apologizes for the misunderstanding. Yeah, it's it's really nice. And he comes off really well in this episode. I, I appreciate that his whole thing seems to be kind of overreacting to stuff. He he gets he gets real big, gets real shouty, but then he comes back and apologizes. And look, the ideal is to never get all shouty and stuff and to never overreact, but that's not the world we live in, sadly. So I like that we're having this big thing where it's it's not just all the stuff you mentioned earlier about the parents learning sort of good boundaries with their kids. It's also the thing where there's no excuse not to apologize to your child when you've been unfair to them. Which, I mean, wow, that's a thing you don't hear very often, but it's a thing I kind of think you should. It sort of goes on the, the bit, again, I hate to tell you your own stuff back at you, Soto, but it does sort of pick up on the bit where it's not just, I'm I'm right because I'm your dad, you're wrong because I'm your dad, etc., etc. Just It's just Kimura Junko knowing what's up when it comes to family stuff, which I feel like was a thing that has been kind of a, a maybe not a through line exactly, but a thing that has been present in her series. I seem to remember Yamato having having some really intense but believable, if a little rushed, stuff with his dad back in Juoja anyway. Yeah, like, he, he had this really... Like, their whole relationship was based around, like, his dad had never been home because he was a doctor and he was always on call. And then his mom died and his dad, like, didn't make it because his dad had to stop to save Bart. Yeah, 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 that's what it was. And, like, he had, he had never forgiven his dad for not being there, and then the whole thing kind of came together, but in this really last-minute way. Yeah, it was not... Because it was in the last, like, handful of episodes, and Bard just didn't show up often enough. I assume because Murakami just had better things so to do. So again, like, we're watching this one, and just with how Zamigo's going, maybe it's just, that's just how she paces stuff, or the guy playing Zamigo is just also very busy. I, who yeah. knows? I mean, at this point, you know, two for two, it is looking more like it may be her way of writing, mm -hmm. but we'll... I guess we'll see if we get a third one by her yeah. and it happens again. Yeah, two points are a line, threes makes a pattern. Oh, also, just a quick update. I, I found that I was wrong. The guy who played Captain Marvelous did not get married to Luca. I don't know where I got that from. Uh, but he has been, he has uh, fathered a child with a, an idol called uh, Shoko Nakagawa. So he is, he is a father. I just... Wow, I... Sorry, I know who that is. Um, she's actually a very, very popular singer. I didn't know they had a child together. I didn't know she had a child. Well, like, given given idol culture, it's, I imagine that's a thing that they're 
they'd be pretty happy about, uh, which also explains kind of the tenor of of when he... I mean, this is back in 2014, when he confirmed, like, yes, I I, I am a father. And it's just like, I, I'm sorry well, for all the... you know, good for I'm that. sorry for all the trouble I'm causing now. And I'm like, man, I hate that you have to apologize. Yeah, I mean, I hope that they have all have a good relationship yeah. and people have chilled the heck out and that this kid gets to have two really boss Yeah, parents. I know, right? Because... I mean, Ozawa is radical, and Shokotan is also radical. Good. I mean, I do follow him on Instagram, and I've never seen them together, but he may only post Well, like, they didn't get married, work I don't stuff. think. They, well, were, I, they were dating. Like, he may only, you know, be posting, like, him and castmates with stuff that he's working uh, on. Yeah, because... He may, he may not put a lot of his personal life on there. Who can blame him? He shouldn't yeah. have to. I mean, some people do, some people don't. Uh, Miu from Gokaiger mostly posts her cats. That's good. Well, I think Miu from Forze posts a lot of, like, modeling that she does. And sometimes posts her cats. <laughs> cats are pretty great. They both have very good cats. And I mean, look, uh, Geki Chopper Javert, he mostly posts his dog. And his dog is really cute. Good. I'm glad he has a cute dog. Grease Otoya will sometimes post him and his dog, but his dog also has his own Instagram account. <laughs> that Somehow that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> his dog is- he has a Pomeranian and oh, his dog boy. is incredibly cute. But, you know, back to- back Yeah, to yeah, yeah, sorry. Before I start that talking was me. about all of the, the Toku actors and their dogs that I follow on Instagram, uh, because it's a lot of them. I don't- know if this should be as funny as it is, but Toma just throwing a bunch of cards on the floor and that getting in the way of the diving was hysterical. Like, I guess it just, it works on what he intends to dive into, and he's like, he meant to go into the floor, so that's what the collection piece lets him go into, but he didn't, he, he wasn't like, I'm gonna pass through these cards, so it just doesn't work between because they're between him and the floor. I mean, I guess I, I took it as being one of those, like, it only works on stone or something, or he can only swim into certain kinds of material that are nature-ish. I mean, insofar as processed stone and petrochemical laced playing cards are not from nature, but... You know what I mean. It's like he can only swim in one element at a time, and and the plastic coated cards like mess with the connection because there's no monster sized hole to fit into. Maybe I the the rules are very uh, diffuse. It's still they are vague. It was but funny just, as heck. The, the fact that it stopped him. It was a it was a great yeah. gag. But speaking of the rules. Like, why would they only expect it to work on the floor? Like, come on, guys. Weird magic gangler thing. Uh, loop and collection piece. Of course it's gonna work on the walls, that mean, too. That's true, and in fairness, I do feel like they were kind of expecting it to work. It just it just makes the ground like water. And you don't, you know, you don't really swim up stationary bodies of water, because those don't exist. Salmon do. What's that? Salmon swim up, up waterfalls. That's true, but those aren't static. They're, those are moving yeah but they're swimming up it no they're but jumping. no no like most water isn't that's static. true yeah i don't know but anyway it just when he jumped into the wall it it did just sort of hit me like oh wait but this is more of an element thing than a swimming thing that's just how he moves in it because he's a weird flounder monster thing i still like i i don't know all the stuff that his name means but when i saw ryug i'm like Oh, I get it, because he's like a rug. Because flounders are like the rugs of fish. Fish rugs. Flounders are freaky, man. Either that or it's one of those, like, giant fish that, like, Kirby swims in, in some of the Super Nintendo Kirby games. I don't actually know what kind of fish they are, though. But it's just like his head is coming out of its mouth. It's gross. I am... I am kind of fond of, uh, the magic bow, though. Like, that, I thought it was pretty neat looking. Uh, reminded me a little of Gow Ranger, uh, where he gets the... Is it Gow Ranger where he gets, like, a bow upgrade? Or is that Maji Ranger? I, I have no idea, I'm afraid. But if... yeah. Either, either way, 
I do, I really like that you can do, like, the traditional pullback bow for, like, the dramatics of it. Or you can just use it as a bow gun to shoot them off really mm. quick. And he kind of, he kind of, Kyrie kind of transitions between doing both. Because even, even when he's firing them off quick and it's not that kind of slow-mo where, like, close up, you do see him pull back a couple times and then other times he's just firing them off. Yeah. I, I mean, like, I will say I'm not... 100% on it myself, but I, I do like the possibility, though, that by the end of the series, all the Lupins will have a weapon of their own, or at least one, or at least they can all use different weapons, so that the, in the final roll call, they can have them for, for like, cool poses, because even, even if I'm kind of whatever on the magic bow, we still got to see Umika use shield and scissors, which are somehow my favorite upgrades in the series so far. I mean, we haven't had a ton of them, but they're really good, and they're hella stylish, and I like seeing her... Yeah, they they are the best-looking ones. Yeah, because they, they're just big, angular, got the black with the colors on, so when you see her, like, use the shield to block the water blast, and then she's just carrying around that big old hork and boomerang, it's just, it's really good. Uh, the bit of Dograño having Gosh like lean in like he's gonna tell her a secret, and then being like, "Go give him another chance," she, and she kind of like reels back and is like, "Oh, I hate this guy." That was <laughs> like I don't want to though. Like that was so yeah, good. Was. Like I want to. I really want to see more from Gosh because she's gained so much personality in just like reacting to other ganglers. Yeah, she's so good that way. It, it almost makes up for, oh, what was her name back in Zhuoger? Naria. Just... Naria. I, I keep wanting to say Insarn, but she's the one in yeah. Kaijar. I just... Who, Naria was very much just like... so underused. The 2.0. Yeah. And, and honestly, both of them were. Yeah. I just... But my thing for me on top of that was also that Gosh is so mad at Ryug for turning all these young people old. And all I can think, and okay, I'm very sorry for headcanon time, but it just gave me this impression that she wants all the young people to stay young because youth means resilience, and resilience means they will survive longer while she's performing horrific experiments upon them. Because, I mean, you know just from her general demeanor that she has complained more than once about how older humans die quicker when you stab them than young ones do. And the really young ones die even faster. Because, again, Headcanon Gauche has definitely, definitely murdered a lot of humans. I'm pretty sure Canon Gauche has murdered a lot of humans based on a couple of times we've seen yeah, her. Yeah, just like the one time where we saw her lab. She's just, she's, what's she doing her off hours? She finds and perfects ways to keep humans on the edge of death for extended periods of time so she can study and record their reactions and hurt them better. Sort of a Count Rugen style from uh, Princess Bride. Just, what's she, what is she about? Hurting people. Why? Cuz. I mean, her job is, alright, I'll go make, I'll go make your monster grow, it's fine. But also, she just, she just wants to take people apart. She just wants to flay someone alive and show the person their own spinal cord before they die. Is that asking so much? Really now? She's. Yeah, like, what? why do you keep dying just because I remove your brain? What kind of stupid design is that? Because, I mean, look, she does seem to be, like, three-quarters ammo belts and, like, a little bit of weird rubbery fish skin. Like, she's, she is a weird thing. I, she's weird. She is a little But strange, also really but cool, because I, I will never stop being a fan of those bits where you, like, see the 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 ammo belt gear things in her guts just start spinning when she's about to do something. It's just it's a it's such a weird, unhuman thing. She's such a good monster. The the monster designs in this series are generally pretty good. Even like the boss monsters are untouchable. Oh yeah. The the some of the monsters of the week, you know, there's always a bit of variance, but the boss monsters untouchable so I love how excited Goody gets 
when magic is when magic shows up. He's like, ah, oh, my friend. It's time for friend. Like I love seeing Goody excited and happy to fight with other pieces of the collection. Like what a good cool yeah. boy. Yeah. Just every time one of his bros shows up, he's just so happy. It's so special. And this time he's like, magic. Would you get a dial? Bro, let's do this! It's like, oh yeah! Awesome! Because yeah, even with my vague misgivings about the combined form, uh, nothing will ever get me in into it, qu- at least in the moment, quite like seeing Good Striker be just so happy, and like the puppet, it just has its mouth open and is looking around, just so like, oh, something amazing's about to happen, you guys! And all the while... This is gonna be yeah. great! And then he's just there, being a good, cool robot. And a good, cool puppet, because he's a good, cool boy. So I'm really interested by the bit where we are kind we kind of step out of the robot fight, and Tsukasa's like, Hey, uh, did you make that? And Noelle's like, yeah. And then she's like, if he made it, why isn't he using it? Because that's a good question. Why isn't he? Does it not work with his robot? Or does he just want to sit back and enjoy his handiwork by way of seeing his friends use it? Or is there some other reason? Like, I'm just as curious as Tsukasa. Yeah, same. Because it is a very good question. Especially since, near as I can tell, and, and please feel free to correct me on this, he doesn't seem to use pieces of collection at all when he's fighting, does he? I mean... I feel like the trains are things he just built. Or, or am I... Did I hallucinate that? I feel like that's a defensible position. Because... I mean, it'd be, it's it's hard to yeah, say. Yeah, because I, I feel like Goody would have said something like, Noel, what's up, bro? I see you brought my friends, uh, the Thunder and Lightning trains. Or the Fire and Lightning trains. But he doesn't say that. He's just like, Noel, what's up, buddy? Hey, best yeah. friend. It's just... I mean, okay, they, they used Tokuger footage, so we could say that they're Tokuger bits, but we already saw the Tokuger bit, and it was the guidebreaker. So, like, I don't know. I like I kind of like the idea that he might be disallowed from using them outside of modding them or something, because, you know, they're, they're pieces of Lupin's collection, and maybe he's not supposed to be just futzing about with them. But whatever the, he- you know, whatever the speculation is, it's a good question to have out there, and I look forward to the answer, Especially since they don't seem to be needing to make a big, like, ooh, mystery about it. It's just, huh, why doesn't he do that? Because that's, that's a good question. I, just, I also just love how observant Tsukasa is. Anytime there's a, hey, this is a little suspicious, it's her that's noticing yeah, it. Yeah, she should be a detective or something. Oh, wait. <laughs> Sorry. But yeah, yeah. She's, she's the one who's got her stuff together, because Keiichiro could be that kind of good, but he's too busy just hating crime. He just, he can't stand it. To the point where it kind of drags him backwards, and I'm just like, okay, but let's remember that on top of hating crime, he loves classical music, and once almost had a long-term, a long-distance relationship with a lady, but then didn't, because he knew that he couldn't be the the kind of partner she deserved. Sorry, um, I just I just had a feeling for a second. I mean, I have that feeling on the regs, uh, because I also really do love yeah. the intro. But yeah, Tsukasa is, Except they... is the best at detectiving. Sorry. Also, it's, it's freaking precious that Umika's dad gave her a bag full of good luck charms for yeah. her birthday. Because again, his his whole reason for coming wasn't to control her or to do what he wants or to try and bring her home. He just, he wants to let her know like, hey, I, I support you. If you need me, I'm wishing you the best. I just, I want you to be, I want you to be okay out there. And it's it's just super sweet that he gave her these good luck charms as a symbol of that. And that she got to, you know, go home for a night and see her family and feel a little normal. uh, Because she's kind of really the only one of them that can do Mm. that. Which, like, is is such a beautiful and tragic bit in the show. And and I have to say, I appreciate that Umika's dad gets to be one of the handful of genuinely good tokusatsu dads, at, at least 
over here on the Toei side. Because, like, and you, and you touched on this a little, so no, so I'm just going to spin out from you. But, like, a lot of dads are dead, absent, and, and on the writer's side, there's a good odds that they're also going to be evil. So, you know. Whereas Umika's just got this guy who's trying to figure out his daughter without realizing that she's a cool superhero who's going to bring back her friend by becoming one of those thieves that everyone's been talking about. Also, I just, I'm really happy knowing that Umika's mom just trusts her daughter implicitly, even when it's to run off and start working and living at some bizarre cafe, which, like, now that I say it out loud, kind of sounds like a cult, so maybe they, maybe they, well, she's worried, but she trusts her daughter, and that's, that's good. And I mean, she's still yep. in touch with her. Yep, they. Which is a good sign that it's yeah, not a cult. Yeah, that's true. But it's just like, yeah, that that kind of trust goes a long way when you've got a kid who just went through something traumatic, like her best friend and the rest of her high school class just up and disappearing, or as the case may be, turning into ice right in front of her, then exploding again right in front of her. Which still, just the is there anything more hor- horrific than that? Like I'm sure there is, but not many. That's. It's, it's still horrifying to consider. But uh, just sort of get back to your point about like how precious her dad is. I confess there was a second where I was like, oh man, is this going to turn into a Kiba Ranger thing? Because I don't, I don't think I can handle having a second yellow with a really sad story about their mom. All right, so with that said, uh, Sona, why don't you give us a look at the Lupin Collection this time around? Okay, episode 27's piece of the collection is probably the one that's the most universally recognizable to Western tokusatsu fans, as it is a remake of Dragon Ranger's Zusoken from Zoo Ranger, probably better known the demographic I just mentioned as uh, Mighty Morphin's Dragon Dagger. Ironically, given the pattern of the Lupin collection thus far, this one was made less green than it had previously been. Uh, Zusoken... Uh, is a good choice as it's functionally beyond its functionality beyond being a weapon was that it would be played to summon Dragon Caesar while this piece of the collection is being used to give its user the power to control people via speech which I mean good thematic yeah, choice yeah, yeah makes kind of sense it sort of uh, an inversion of it so it's nice um, and the piece itself is called Control named after a Janet Jackson song of the same name, at least according to Ranger Wiki, but there are enough songs with that sort of, with that same name that I really appreciate them just saying so, because I had a few other guesses, and I'd, Janet Jackson's much better is what I'm saying. Seems like a good 28s while watching the episode, when they pull it out, I'm like, I know what that is. And I just couldn't think of it at the time. I had to think on it until uh, today when it hit me that they were Gao Blue's shark cutters. Uh, this time made purple. Uh, it's a fitting choice as Gao Blue's motif was a shark and the diving ability seems very shark-like. Though I don't believe that Gao Blue could just like dive into the sidewalk as though it were water like this. Or uh, I think Sela could do that. Sounds, sounds about right. I think she did it at least once. Someone could do that. And I feel like it was recent, so it had yeah, to be Sella. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and hey, it was uh, an anniversary series, you know, ostensibly. That's what they kept saying. So maybe it was a callback? Shrug, question mark? It was a cool effect. Maybe, like, I don't I don't think Gal Blue could do it because this was like 2001-ish, oh, yeah. and I don't think the technology Not was quite, there. Not quite, no. Though Gal Blue's intro into, uh, like, right when he would transform did have him, like, leaping out of the water using reversed footage of him kind of, like, jumping backward into the water. So there is that. Which, look, that makes him alright in my book, because I actually love when they use the reverse jump footage. It just, it, it looks awesome as heck and so super unreal that it puts me even more into the fantasy. If that makes sense. Yeah, and I mean, I did, I really loved Gal Blue, uh, possibly because he's more typical to what is now the green archetype, um, while Gal Yellow is has the more typical blue archetype, where he's kind of a little bit gruff and he's got that dynamic with the red, where uh, Gal Blue had 
was kind of laid back and had more of a dynamic with Gal Black. Hmm. He was also briefly in Bokenger. Oh, nice. Because Bokenger was all... Gal Ranger was also an anniversary series, and so was Bokenger. He was Ragi in the episode with, uh, I think it was Atlantis or something. Some, not, it wasn't Atlantis, but it was something oh, similar. Okay. Um, and he, he was the, the fish boy that came from the oh, Wait, the fish boy season. fell in love with, uh, uh, with Akashi? Because Akashi totally dated a fish boy. Or maybe it was a dragon boy. Akashi yeah. dated... Akashi no, he, has a thing for monsters. Akashi, Akashi dated Akashi dated most things that moved. It's quite true. frankly, um, no his his whole thing was he he had like a whole he was like the prince of the city and like their their thing got stolen and it's something with his dad um, and he gave up the his his like water jewel in order to go like on this quest to find it so then he gets his dad's water jewel at the end so he can go. Oh yeah, no, this is a different one. I was thinking of a different one. I had to I had to look him up real quick. At least I think there's a different one. I only see the one picture. Not important. Not important. Well, what's important is that he was played by yeah. Blue, which is why I'm tying it in here. But um, I did a friend did think that these were from O Ranger because O Blue has a very he has the same kind of oh, weapon, okay. which again Gal Ranger is an anniversary series, so that may have been a callback to the weapon in O Ranger. Makes sense. But uh, these were these are very specifically. If you look at them, it is just the shark cutters painted purple. Nice. And sadly, I, I don't have anything to add because I could have sworn I saw the the Lupin Collection book with their name on it. But then when I went back to go and see what that name was, I couldn't find it. So uh, once I have that information, dear listener, I'll be putting that in the as mentioned because I'm. Now that I know that all of them are named after songs, I like finding the songs. Uh, so do we have any other final thoughts for the Lupin Collection? Uh, no, just I'm recognized two in a row, which is, I think, a nice. first. Uh, so then, let's let's talk predictions and speculation, and what do we think this show might have in store for us in the future? Um, all I know is the next episode is Keichiro-focused and also written by Kaneko Kaori. So I'm I'm very hopeful because it's been a while since we've gotten a Keichiro episode, but I'm also kind of nervous because I'm not super in on Kaori's interpretations of him. And I really, you know, as I said, I really love Keichiro, so I feel like this episode coming in on, you know, episode 29, like this is going to be kind of make or break, and I'm nervous. No, that's, that's fair. I just, I just really want them to bring back Narahisa Arakawa. Let Kaneko Kaori write. Fair. I, I honestly don't care. Someone else's stuff. Arakawa can do Keichiro focus episodes when they aren't being done by Kimura. Okay, okay. I think that I think that is fair fandom law. Yes. Even though, like, okay, we can maybe have Arakawa also write the Sukasa episodes. Fair. Look, he's he's he writes good cops. I just want I want Kaori to kind of be put on like DVD specials and net movies for yeah, a while. Yeah, just until they get stuff better. Because they're they're very good. It just they could be better. <sighs> but uh, so, do we have any other final thoughts? Uh, no. no. I think that's it for these episodes. All right then. Uh, well then, we'll be back next time with the Uncommon Cast RX. But until then, for Laser Knees and the rest of the <laughs> Network, I'm Aleph. And I'm Sona. And don't get kicked by a horse and die.